0: I'm excited to continue this morning in our message series called Lessons from the Trail. And, uh, we're gonna be in Mark chapter 2, one of the Gospels. So if you're, uh, if you have a Bible with you, I invite you to start looking for that, Matthew and then Mark, and it's gonna be in chapter 2, uh, beginning at, at 23. We've picked up on this whole, uh, hiking theme. Uh, through this series, this walking, being outdoors, being on the trail, and, uh, and just kind of all the parallels to our, to our life or our walk of faith. And, uh, there is something when you get on a hike, you can, you can find nice shady paths or places where there's lots of trees, but oftentimes you're out on exposed trails. It gets really hot. Uh, and what you're looking for is a place of rest, a place with a little bit of shade. Sometimes funny. There'll be one tree and there'll be a few of you huddled kind of beside the tree just trying to get a little bit of shade. But amazing things happen when you stop to rest. All of a sudden, you get into a little conversation. You drink a little water. You're you're just kind of... Re- it's both physically refreshing, but there's something that happens in relationships. I've actually got a couple of pictures here for you. I think you'll enjoy these. At least I will. A little, little trip down Pastor Brian's memory lane here. Um, this is... Uh, This is, this is 11 years ago. That's at the Grand Canyon and there's a, when you hike down one of those trails, there's like a shade structure and people kind of gather and you can fill your water bottles. Um, and, uh, that's, that's us when we just were so young and sweet. Uh, let's go to the next one. This is my son Stuart. Um, we're resting in the shade. We're loading up a little bit of water, taking care of it. uh, If you've never been to the Grand Canyon, it's a funny thing because you go there and you say, wow, I see why they call it Grand. It's amazing. But you sort of stand on the rim and then that's it. You're done. Unless you do a little walking down into the trail. But when you walk down those trails, you're on an exposed face. It gets really hot. So this is Stuart and I hiking exactly 11 years minus a day after the last picture. And uh, this is uh, Pinnacles. How many of you have been to Pinnacles National Park? Uh, so this trail is hot. And exposed, and and we try to get an early start, but you know it's a few hours drive to get there, so there we are. And, and Stuart behind me is is resting in the shade, but but we're not as happy about this shade spot as uh, as something a little less hot and dry and treeless. Anyway, um, it's it's a great it's a great hike. So we're going to talk about this resting in the shade and what that looks like in our spiritual life in our Christian life. The spiritual equivalent to a shady resting place on the trail is the Sabbath, that day of rest. And I'm just going to confess to you right now, right here now, I am really terrible at this. I struggle to maintain a Sabbath. And I think that applies to anybody who does shift work, who, who you know, who kind of experiences a, kind of an irregular schedule. Um. But I, you know, I think it's just kind of in our nature to keep going. But I will just tell you right now, I'm kind of preaching to myself uh, this morning. The Sabbath is the seventh day of the week given to rest and to worship and to fellowship. And quite frankly, I don't know many people who are good at keeping Sabbath, um, But it's important. And the problem might partly be one of perception. If you perceive that the Sabbath is a duty and an obligation, um, you you might uh, really kind of resent this. I mean, I remember as a kid, we were really strong, you know, observers. Sunday was like the day of rest. You could not really do anything fun. It was a drag kind of on Sundays. And so, you know, you sort of have this kind of sense of duty and obligation. But if you recognize that that shady rest place on the trail of Sabbath is actually for you, for the good of your soul. Um, You know, a place, a spot big enough to gather with a few others and refresh you. You might see it a little differently. And so we want to talk about that this morning. The Gospels record a number of episodes when Jesus broke with convention on the Sabbath day. And he raised the ire of the religious establishment for, for sure. For example, it's, you know, especially when he would heal people on the Sabbath uh, because it was perceived to be work. You're working on the Sabbath. Do it another day. And, and Jesus kind of taught them multiple times. So in quite a number of times in the Gospels, we encounter the Sabbath in, in Jesus sort of getting a little bit of trouble Uh, But we're going to look at one episode in particular, and it's found in Mark chapter 2, beginning at verse 23. And if you're able, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's word this morning. A short passage, but it illustrates the point. And it begins this way. It says, One Sabbath day, as Jesus was walking through some grain fields, his disciples began breaking off some heads of grain to eat. You, You can just visualize that. They're going through, they're grabbing it, rubbing it. Sift it between your, you know, thresh it between your hands and pop a little snack, a little trail mix along the way, right? But the Pharisees said to Jesus, look, why are they breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? And Jesus said to them, haven't you ever read in the scriptures what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He went into the house of God during the days when Abiathar was priest And broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests are allowed to eat. He also gave some to his companions. Jesus then said to them, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people, not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. And so the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Let's be seated together. The Sabbath, and by the way, this business of kind of breaking, you know, grabbing a handful of grain as you walk along the trail, is they weren't stealing. That's actually was permitted in the law, explicitly permitted. You're allowed to gather. You just can't put a sickle to it and, and load up your whole backpack. Um, by the way, someone harvested a few grapes and they're in the back of the auditorium. If you want to take some grapes home today, uh, they're there for you. Uh, the Sabbath wasn't simply a, a law. Um, we know about it because it became a law. It was, it was, uh, you know, entrenched as law in the Ten Commandments. The fourth commandment of the ten, right, says, says this: Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest, dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. And so the principle there is you got six days for yourself and you got one day for God and for God's people together. But so that, yes, it is a law, but long before it was explicit as a law, God established Sabbath at creation. And we're going to talk a little bit about what happens at creation. He observed this. Look at this. It carries on. The next verse is, For in six days the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them, but on the seventh day, he rested. That's why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. Now think about this. Why would God rest? Is God, does God get tired? Does God get worn out? Is God somehow broken down? Like, oh, so, you guys just leave me alone for a day. No, of course not. God's not, God's not tired, and yet he rested from his labor. Am I greater than God that I don't need a Sabbath? Genesis chapter 2, right back to creation. Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 and 3 say this. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation, and so he rested from his work. And God blessed the seventh day, and he declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. So God rested and so we rest because we need a day to rest from our productivity, our, our work, right? And even to enjoy what we have created. God, God effectively said, I have made all this and it's very good and he enjoyed what he had made. As a culture, I think we forget that we're not far removed from this rhythm, this day of rest in the week. So when I was in college, I worked in retail and it was just at the time where, where we lived, where we were, they were just turning over Sunday working laws, Sunday, you know, Sabbath laws basically they were called where, you know, I, I remember we were just in a place when, when I worked in a, in a store where half the store, most of the store was closed, uh, but certain parts of it could be open and little by little uh, it opened. But But until that time, whether you were a church person or not, you had a day of rest in the week and if you were going to get groceries or get to the hardware store or pick up auto parts or even get gas or whatever you're going to do, you had to do that before Sunday because on Sunday you're not making a run to the store for for a jug of milk because it was closed. So we're not that far away from that, that rhythm in our, in our own culture. And as you read the history of Israel, you're going to see that one ongoing cause of their demise was their disregard for the Sabbath, working on the Sabbath, allowing commerce and trade, allowing the markets to be open on the Sabbath, ignoring God's gift of Sabbath. And in response... By Jesus' time, the very religious ones, the religious establishment had created this whole catalog, this whole catalog of rules, basically rules about the rule, laws about the law to, to kind of enforce and manage Sabbath observance. And it was that religious interpretation of Sabbath that Jesus challenged. Now, Sabbath, I've used this word gift. It is, it is a gift of God given to us in creation. So not a law or before it was a law, it was a principle that then was cemented into law. But it, it comes out of God's great love for us, right? And there are a number of good gifts of creation. You could think of many of them. I'm going to give you five and, and allow you to add to your, to your own list. So let me give an example of five good gifts at creation. The first that I, that I thought of is witness, there's the, the the gift of witness. Creation tells us about God. Psalm 19 says, "The heavens declare His handiwork; the the very stars worship God and speak of Him." Their language goes, their speech goes out across languages through the whole earth. Psalm 19. Romans chapter one says that we are without excuse. There's no excuse not to trust in God because what has been made reveals God's divine nature. And it's in, it, and his, and his qualities, his characteristics. It's all, it's, it's a witness to God. Another gift that God gives us is identity. Identity. We are made in God's image, we're told. Male and female, core to our identity. Did you know that, you know, we still do gender reveal parties? Right? Why? Because people want to know, is it a boy? Or is it a girl? We don't say, it's a clump of cells. And in 13 years, you're going to find out if it's a boy or a girl. Right? God designed it. God gave you that gift of your core identity. You're male or female, made in his image and the beauty that that is. Another gift that God gave us at creation is sexuality. And he created a man and a woman and he said, you're going to be a husband and a wife. And together, you're going to create a family. And, and, and within the bond of that relationship, you will get to express yourselves in the most intimate way. And, and not only that, you're going to live out your unique roles in marriage. What it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman. And how that translates into the world, into the church. What it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman. Another gift that God gave us, and this is the one we're talking about today, is Rest. Rest, the Sabbath that restores us, reconnects us to God, reconnects us to one another. These are the gifts of creation that God has given to us. Another one, you may not feel like this tomorrow morning, but the gift of work. God's gift of work, the fact that you are able to be creative and productive. The fact that you're able to, to, to provide for yourself or your family. To, to be to 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 see things come to life, witness identity, sexuality, rest, work—all good things—and you could add many other gifts. Right? Life itself is a gift of creation. the The freedom that the free will to choose whether or not you're going to trust God—that's a gift of creation. Uh, you, you you could look at you know relationships uh, with God with God or with people—that's a gift of creation. You could go at the, the variety that you see in in the outdoors that's a gift of creation taste buds did you know that's a gift of creation god didn't have to give you taste buds but he did like god thought of the little important amazing awesome things to give you joy and pleasure in your life so I'm just going to depart from this or pause on this for a moment because I want you to see what happens when we reject God, when we remove God from our structure, from our faith, from our life, from our world. When we instead descend, instead of a a, instead of a God-centered worldview, a biblical worldview, when we go into a, a human-driven worldview, a humanist, humanistic perspective, watch what happens just to those five gifts that I talked about in creation. What about Witness. What happens in a humanistic worldview? It works against witness. Oh, there's no God. God didn't create everything. You just evolved. You're, you're just a random accident of the universe. You, you really don't have any meaning or purpose. We won't really miss you when you're gone. You you're kind of don't have any value. There's God. Nah, there's no God. A humanistic worldview works against identity. Male, female, yeah, you choose. It's... It's interchangeable. It doesn't really matter. They're all the same. Boy, that kind of makes you feel sort of worthless, doesn't it? Sexuality. It works against that. Yeah, anything goes. Anybody wants you want to, any age. Marriage. Yeah, it's okay. It undermines everything that makes a society function. What about rest? It works against rest. There's no rhythm to your, to your week and to your life. You just keep moving and shopping and 24-7 you can just go. You can go to Walmart at 2am. I've never been to a Walmart at 2am. It's weird enough at 2pm. <laughs> it works against work. Right? Just this idea of like, Yeah, you don't really need to work. God's not really your provider. The government's your provider. We'll take care of you. Do you understand how when you remove God, when you descend into a humanistic perspective, it undermines all of God's good gifts for you. God loves you. He's got good gifts. And so God created everything in six days, we're told. And on that sixth day, he created humans, man and woman, Adam and Eve, they were named. And on the seventh day, God rested. So now think about this. The first day, the first full day of human life is the day of God's rest. And then from there, we were given the responsibility to care for and to manage the earth. We were sent out to work, but doing so beginning in rest and relationship with God. I want you to see today is the beginning of your week, not the end of your week. Right. So God is so amazing. He's so good. He thought this all through for you. He had it all planned out. So let's come back to Jesus. In Mark chapter 2, we've got Jesus and his disciples. They're in the wheat field. They're going around. They're accused now of working on the Sabbath. Of not Not accused of stealing grain, but of harvesting grain on the Sabbath. This is getting into the petty details, isn't it? Last month, Becky and I celebrated our anniversary. Uh, out of, uh, well, actually out of state. And, and at the hotel we were staying at, um, there happened to be a group of about 130 Jewish teens that were on a three-week Western States tour. And I mean, they were just a really fun bunch of kids to watch. And on the Saturday, Sabbath, I was sitting and reading a book. Outside by the pool and and one of these kids sat down, and then a bunch more sat down and I am kind of spending a bunch of time with these jewish kids and uh, you know i I always wanted to be a youth guy, and it never really worked out and so i'm just i 'm just having a great time with these guys we're having a conversation, and it started when i said hey i 'm just curious um, how come none of you are in the pool today I, A little naive, I suppose, on my part they 're all just nice, they all look good and They said, well, it's the Sabbath. No bathing on the Sabbath. Oh. Okay, so none of you are on your cell phones. That's right. No devices on your Sabbath. No electronic devices. Can't use the light switch on a Sabbath. Can't press the elevator button on a Sabbath. Can't touch the thermostat on a Sabbath. Because that's work. You're, You're using a device... An electronic device or a mechanical device for your life. And we talked about a number of the regulations around Sabbath and, and, and to be honest, they looked like they were having a good time. They, the, the one gal, she said, I actually really love it that I don't get to use my phone today because he keeps me from being totally absorbed in it all the time. She's got that every week. It breaks that habit and, and there, hanging out, they're talking, they're reading, they're having fun. I mean, they just became a really fun bunch of kids to be around. But the, the the girl did say to me, she goes, I know it doesn't, a lot of this doesn't really make sense, but we do this to show our devotion to God. And that's a key, that's a key switch that Jesus is addressing. God's, Jesus is saying, look, I've given you the Sabbath for your benefit, not for my benefit. And so, that, that, that's, you know, in the process of making it holy, sometimes the law becomes more important than the relationship. So you think about Jesus and his followers on that day, that Sabbath, they're not doing nothing. I mean, they're not napping all day. Their, their life isn't on hold. They're, they're going somewhere. They're walking through. They're spending time together in a very life-giving way. And the, the, I would say the Sabbath really needs to include time with the Lord. And just because Jesus challenged the Pharisees, he was not denying the value, the worth, the necessity of Sabbath. He was just reorienting reorienting their understanding of what it was and how it worked and why it mattered. So Sabbath for man, not man for the Sabbath. And you would think... You would think that keeping a Sabbath should be the easiest thing in the world. I mean, who wouldn't want a day of rest and worship and a break from all your regular stuff? Uh, You you know, I, I, I would think, boy, this should be the most natural thing to us. But even though, and I believe it's built into our very bodies, even though we're built for this rhythm of work and rest, work six, rest one, we just don't naturally go there. I know I sure don't. I mean, I have a week where I was I was here every single day this week and and like just go, 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 go. Right. We stay busy or or we stay lazy, but very few of us are intentional with that Sabbath. And that's the that's the key thought here. It's about a day being intentional. And so I'm going to suggest four things that I think the Sabbath would protect protect us from. You ready for this? Four things that I think Sabbath can protect us from. One is perpetual consumption. Perpetual consumption. To have a day where there's no commerce, uh, and instead to give that day to God and to enjoy one another, that's a very freeing experience. To have one day of not spending any money. It's it it it, it breaks from this like more and more. Amazon, Amazon, Walmart, whatever, grocery store, like just go, go, go. So woo. All right. So perpetual consumption. Another thing I think it protects us from is the idolatry of work. The idolatry of work. What do I mean by that? Well, a rest from your regular work keeps you from making an idol of your work. So an idol is anything that we go to in place of God to satisfy our needs. And when God is the only one, but we need to know that God is the only one who can truly satisfy Our needs. So your soul is replenished when God's in first place. And Sabbath helps you do that. Sabbath helps you avoid the idolatry of work. Closely related to that, I think. um, Sabbath helps protect us from self-righteousness. Self-righteousness. See, worshiping God reminds me I can't save myself. No matter how hard I try, no matter what I do, no matter how good I am at what I do, I cannot save myself. I am not the I'm not the savior. And never taking a Sabbath suggests that I am my own Savior. You know, it's kind of all on me. It's this big burden. i got to save the world. I mean, it's, a, it's very similar to the, to the principle of the tithe. This biblical principle that we give a tenth of what we earn to the Lord. Why? Because we set apart that tithe that says, look, God, everything is yours. And by giving you a tenth of what I have, it reminds me, reminds my soul, reminds my heart that I trust in you, that I depend on you. I'm not my own savior. You are the provider. I'm not my own provider. You are. And, And the tithe does that. And so it's the same thing with Sabbath. Another thing that it protects us from, the fourth thing, is spiritual isolation. Protects us from spiritual isolation. Sabbath keeps me connected with God's people. After I'm finally done talking here, some of you are looking at your watches, I get it, hang on, we're not, we got a little bit to go. Right? You're gonna grab a coffee over there, you're gonna grab a lemonade, you're gonna talk to a few people. If you're a guest with us, if you're new here this morning, just don't, don't run out the door if you're a regular, just pause and look for someone who, who just needs a, a, a hello and a, a kind of a friendly kind of moment together. We're going to reconnect with God. We're going to avoid being isolated for the next week. Sabbath helps us do that. So let's go back to Mark chapter 2 again. Mark chapter 2, Jesus drew a Bible parallel for the Pharisees. By the way, it's just always amazing to me how the Pharisees are always hanging around, watching Jesus, trying to like, he lives in their head, doesn't he? Like he's, I mean, they're just like, they can't not think about Jesus as much as they despise him. And they're always looking for a way to trip him up. The episode that Jesus refers to is found in 1 Samuel chapter 21. That what happened there is, David, who's already been anointed as the next king after King Saul, David is on the run. Saul's trying to kill him. David goes to where the tabernacle is, the holy tent, the holy meeting place of God, and, and he gets there, and he and his companions, they're hungry, and, and the, and David says to the priest, you got anything for us to eat? We are hungry. The drive-thru was closed, you know, we, we, uh, we just, we couldn't get anything. We need some, we need some food. And the priest says, you can have the show bread. Now the show bread were these 12 loaves that were laid out every week on the, on the, in, in the, in the tabernacle. And they were meant to, they were set apart as holy. It was sacred bread, only the priest could eat it. And it was a reminder that God is the provider, that, that, that God is the, you know, provides the living bread for us. And so it was like, nobody touches that showbread. It's a, It was symbolic, but it also fed the priest. And the priest says, you can eat the showbread and your companions can too. And it's like, whoa, that's, that's violating how things are supposed to go. And yet Jesus is saying, it's okay. It was necessary. There are times when it's necessary. It's not just a free for all like, yeah, we're all giving out the showbread now. No, it was a necessary moment. It shows that the law can flex when it's necessary for life, right? It does not discard truth. It does not condone sinful behavior. It's a reminder that every law served a purpose. And in this case, demonstrating that showbread, demonstrating that God is our provider. He is the bread of life. And so Jesus speaks this remarkable challenge to the Pharisees. You see it in verse 25, haven't you read the scriptures? Jesus says to them, I mean, to say to the Pharisees, haven't you read the scriptures? Be like saying to the the Starbucks barista. Haven't you heard of coffee? Right. That's that's kind of the thing. Like, yes, they read the scriptures pretty much all day, every day. That's all they did, practically. So what's happening there? Jesus kind of gives this take that what Jesus means is that we don't just read the Bible for knowledge and history and to be able to brag about how good we are interpreting it. We read it for life change, for life application, to impact our lives, to take what God is is teaching us and put it into practice in our relationship with Him and with other people. So, what do we really do with this thing called Sabbath? We've already established it's hard for us to keep... um, And so what do we do? If it's made for us and we're not made for it, how do we remember it? How do we keep it holy, sacred, set apart, honoring to God? How do we do this? Well, again, extending tons and tons of grace and lots of freedom to each other. You know, if you were to go to the Seventh-day Adventist church, they would say the Sabbath is Saturday. That's the day we gather on. That's the day we worship on. And we, you know, they observe the Saturday Sabbath pretty Religiously, I was going to say, no pun intended. Uh, in most evangelical church, we adopted Sunday as the day of gathering, the day of rest, the day of worship together. Again, we're not going to split hairs on that. Um, but here, here's the thing. Sabbath is not just a Jewish thing. It's not just a religious thing. It goes back to our creation DNA. And so some final thoughts. I'm going to give you three final thoughts. And how do we keep the Sabbath? How do we keep the Sabbath? First thing I would say is this, meet with the Lord. Just as the disciples were spending time with Jesus, going through those fields, meet with the Lord. At least one day a week ought to be in some way given to the Lord, in some fashion given to Him. You could be golfing right now. Look, there's a hundred of us here. You could be out golfing right now this morning and enjoying creation, but you're here because you said, this is set apart for the Lord and for God's people Right? So this is our walk through the wheat field right now. Second, take a break. Take a break. Take a break. You don't need to just work, work, work. And this is going to look different for you than it will for the person next to you. But as much as possible, set a day that is a departure from your regular work. And I'll let you define how that, how that pans out for you. Um, you know, for example, for me, for example, Fridays, I try to do no kind of church work because this is my full-time occupation my best sabbaths are the ones where i avoid technology and when i kind of avoid a lot of you know those regular things Uh, have one day where it says you know i can just what i have is enough What what i have is enough for today and that can be again tough for shift workers tough for students i get all that and then one more thing include others Include others. Jesus was always with people on the Sabbath, and he was usually serving them in some way. So let your Sabbath be a blessing through the community of God's people. I'm going to invite Christy and the worship team to 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 bring us kind of a special song. But listen, I the whole leading where this kind of leads into, and and you just think about the difference between the Pharisees and the disciples. The disciples had this incredible time with jesus just being with him spending time with him enjoying his his companionship the pharisees could have done that too but instead they were looking at the laws looking at the rules and and the invitation for you is to seek sabbath as a gift to receive it as the gift that it is for you in this A walk of faith. Look, there's plenty of days where we're out on that hot, sun-exposed trail. Last week we talked about staying hydrated. Today I'm talking about find that rest. Find that place in the shade. Find that place with others. Get that rhythm into your life. Take advantage of this good gift that God has given to you. Don't resent it. Receive it that He has for you. It's not a burden. It's for you. Find that rhythm, that pattern. And as you do you're going to find that you're able to connect with God in a more meaningful way. Even your gathering heal won't be an obligation, but it'll be a delight to be with Him, to engage with Him, to enjoy His presence, to receive all the good things that He has for you. Thanks for listening. Know that God loves you more than you can imagine. And for everything Bethany Church, check out BethanyChurchPresno.com.